So we are in um, part five of a 12-week series um, going through the Minor Prophets, um, these very last books of the Old Testament, many of them uh, very short, and uh, they are restating a lot of the themes and ideas that have come up through, uh, through the rest of the Old Testament. And we get to Jonah today, which is, you know, probably easily the most well-known uh, of, the, of the Minor Prophets. Even if you didn't grow up in the church um, and had really no exposure to the Bible or that kind of thing, you would have, if, you know, if I said Jonah, you would say something about a whale. There's, there's at least some, you know, recognition there of what this is about. Um, but uh, G. Campbell Morgan said it, said it well. He said this. He said, men have been looking so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. So as we're going to look at the book of Jonah, um, the, the fish is, is a it's a key part of it, but it's actually a really small part. And there's actually a lot that happens after the fish that we often don't think about. Um, and this one little short four-chapter book is, I mean, it's, it's jam-packed with so much. There's so much that, that this book is about. It's about God's love for the nation. It's about um, God's heart for people that are very different than the people of Israel. It's about racism. It's about nationalism. Um, it's about running from God. It's about learning how to obey God. Um, it's, a, it's about learning about his grace, about it letting, letting it go from something that's just in your head to something that's pushed down into, into your heart. So there's a lot that this book is about. Um, but one of the things that I, I want to I key us in on and kind of draw our attention to is this one of the main themes in the book um, about how the, the fact that God loves people that you don't. He loves people that you don't, and he wants to teach you about his love for you in teaching you how to love people that you don't. People that he loves, people that he wants to welcome into his family, that we are resistant to for whatever reason. This is a book about a failed prophet who, who needs a lot of hard work done, just like me and just like you. Um, there's a lot of assumptions that we can have about who God is that he is challenging for Jonah, and I think he wants to challenge for you and I today. Ultimately, one of the main things that the book of Jonah is about and that we're going to focus on is about how God wants his people, he really wants his people to be peacemakers. He wants them to be bridge builders in the world with people that are very different from him and from us, and people that are his enemies and that are our enemies. That the core identity of what it means to be the people of God is that we are peacemakers and bridge builders. And we see Jonah failing miserably at this, and yet he learns um, a huge lesson here, and, uh, and there's something for us here as well. So we're going to walk through this in three sections. And looking at how does God make you into the kind of person that can build a bridge with anyone? How does he make you into the kind of person that makes peace with people that you don't like, that aren't like you, and that you may have very good reason to, um, to be angry with and to have a problem with? So, um, so the first section is, the first thing that God does is he asks you to build a bridge. That's the first way he makes you into a, a, a bridge builder, peacemaker. He asks you to build a bridge. The second is, he tears down your bridge to him. So 
So he asks you to build a bridge, then he tears down your bridge to him. And then lastly, he builds a bridge to you again and again. Asks you to build a bridge, tears your bridge down that you built to him, and then he builds a bridge to you again and again. So what I want us to do is we're going to, we're going to walk through the entire book, all four chapters. Um, and uh, in this first section, we're, we're just going to really focus on just the first three verses of the first chapter. Um, then we're going to speed up quite a bit, and we're going to move through the end of chapter one and all of chapter two in the second section. And then in the third section, we're going to look at chapters three and four. So we're going to kind of start zoomed in, and then we'll, we'll kind of move a little bit quicker through it. So, first section, the first thing that God does to make you into the kind of person in the, in, in the midst of a world that's so angry, we're so divided, every, you know, to make it the, the kind of person that our, our country, our world needs so desperately right, right now, he asks you to build a bridge. Look with me in the very beginning of, of Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. I'm going to stop right there. We need to, we have to understand uh, who Jonah was, and we have to understand who and what this Nineveh was. If we want to understand anything about um, what God is trying to say to us through, through this book. So I want to start with Nineveh, the city of Nineveh. Um, this was, as God calls it, a great city. Um, this was a massive city at the time. Um, at the very end, we learned there's 120,000 people there. A lot of people there. This is not small town Alabama. This is a major urban city. And more than that, this is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was really was a terrorist state. Um, they, they did horrendous things to people that they captured. They would, um, I was reading up about this this week, they would do uh, just terrible things. They would, when they would get a prisoner, oftentimes, most times they would kill them if they didn't make them into slaves. But one of the ways that they would kill them is they would cut off their legs, cut off one arm, leave one arm so they could take turns shaking their hand and mocking them as they died. They would, they would pull people with ropes and skin them alive and then hang their skins up on the city walls. They would burn adolescents alive. Um, I, mean they, I mean, really, this one historian said this is, this is as, the Assyrian history is, is as gory and blood-curdling as it gets. Um, I mean, these were dangerous, scary um, people. And um, God tells Jonah to go to them. Now, Jonah, we don't know a ton about him. He's mentioned one other time in the Bible. It's in 2 Kings 14. And when he's mentioned, the picture that we get of him is um, that Jonah is very patriotic. And now there's nothing wrong with being patriotic. We're, whatever country you're from. Um, there's nothing wrong with, with loving the place that you're from and being proud of it. Um, but Jonah had crossed a line um, in that his, his patriotism had, had turned into nationalism. It was really more about, um, he was really serving his, and he was in Israel, he was really more about uh, the, you know, the interests of his nation over and above the good of, that was what we'll see, the Ninevites, who were enemies of Israel and enemies of God. Um, now, this helps us understand what happens in verse 3, knowing just a little bit about Jonah, a little bit about Nineveh. In verse 3, it says, but Jonah, so right after God tells him, go, tell them what I have, we have a message for them, but I'm going to tell you, tell them, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
And then it tells us a little bit more. He went down into he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. This this helps us understand a little bit why he would be uh, he would do this. If God told you to go to Nineveh and preach to them, if God told you to go to Al Qaeda or to ISIS and preach to them, I mean, there's part of you it's like, yeah, like I'll. Here, here I am, Lord, send me, I'll go, do whatever you want. But there, there, there's that other part of you that knows, I mean, you're going to get probably skinned alive if you, if you talk about a God that they're not serving. If you show up and you're not part of their, uh, their nation. He was afraid, obviously, um, rightfully so. Um, but I think there was something else going on here. Not only was he afraid, which I think is what we can assume. I don't think he was afraid of, of the Ninevites so much as what we see is he's actually, he was afraid of God. He was really more afraid of God. He, 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 he was, it just tells us, he wasn't fleeing so he didn't have to go the, the, to Nineveh. He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He didn't like this picture that God was giving him of who he was, that he was the kind of God that would potentially be slightly merciful to this violent people. He didn't know what to do with that. That was not the God that he had, even though he's a good Israelite, that he had made up in his mind of what God was like. And so he's running from that. Um, some of you may have read C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but there's an exchange uh, between Mr. Beaver and Susan <clears throat> in, uh, in the book and he goes like this, <clears throat> excuse me, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I think, I think Jonah, and I think us as well, we... We would, we would re if we had to pick one of the two, God being good or God being safe, we obviously see that, that Jonah wanted God to be safe. He doesn't know what to do with a God who says, I love people that aren't a part of Israel. I have something to tell them, even though what we're going to find out is actually about a message of warning them of, of coming judgment. Even the slightest hint of that, he doesn't know what to do with. But if he's not that, then he gives up uh, the, 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 the picture of God being good. He would rather God be safe than God be good. He would rather a God that he could twist his arm and push him into a corner and say, this is why, this is why what I have done, what I have not done, the way I live my life, my ethnic heritage, the way that I am, this is why you should love me. This is why you have favor upon me. He would rather that safety than the goodness of God that would find himself being merciful, having his heart turned even towards his very enemies. So God asked Jonah, who didn't, he was not a bridge builder. He asked him to build a bridge. And God has actually done the very same thing with us. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus, he has called you to do the same thing, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
the crazy thing about that is you have no idea who's going to be your neighbor. Literally, who lives next to you. And then also figuratively, just the people that you interact with all the time. Most of your neighbors are probably not people that are easy to love. But Jesus actually goes further than that. And Jesus was actually the very first person in all of history. No one had said this up until Jesus. He goes further and he says, not only love your neighbor as yourself, love your enemy. Jesus actually, if you are a follower of Christ, he actually calls you to love your enemy. This should, I mean, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, this should make you pause a little bit and count the cost of following Christ. This is part of the cost that he talks about. Your enemy, not just theoretically Al-Qaeda Al out there somewhere, but like your enemy, the person that's wronged you. So God's heart, the picture that we're getting here is God's heart extends not only to people that you expect. It extends further out beyond that. And God wants us to follow him there, but it's not easy. But God helps us with this, which brings me to the second section. The, the second part of how God makes you into the kind of person that is a bridge builder and a peacemaker is he tears down your bridge to him. He deconstructs you. Now, he does this multiple times in phases and in stages, as we'll see throughout the book of Jonah. This is not just a one and done thing. God is very, he's incredibly patient with us. Amen? He's so patient with us. He's so much more patient with you than you think he has been and than you think that he could be. But in this section, we're going to look at um, verse 4 of chapter 1 through the end of chapter 2. Uh, we, we now get to the famous whale incident where he gets swallowed up as it says by a great fish now um michael who read the the book for us uh, a few moments ago he texted me this morning and he was like hey it's a good week to preach on jonah uh and sent me a link to an article which i had seen the headline for this earlier in the week and i didn't even click on it because or over the weekend and i didn't click on it because i was like oh i'm preaching on jonah i'm just like i'm inferring i'm reading into this so just whatever he sent me this link i was like okay i should probably read this um I'm not making this up. You can just Google it. You can Google it. If you want to pull out your phone right now in the middle of church, just to verify what the preacher is saying, you can. Google it. Um, so in Cape Cod, um, on Friday, this was literally Friday, in Cape Cod, a lobster diver is out, a professional lobster. He's out diving for lobsters. And um, he said um, he was 45 feet down in the water, and uh, he said that he felt a huge bump, and everything went dark. And he thought that he had blacked out from getting bit by a shark. Um, and then he said this. He said, then I, he, so he's, he said he started feeling around, and he realized there was no teeth, and he hadn't felt any pain. And he said, then I realized, oh, my goodness, I'm in a whale's mouth. I'm in a whale's mouth. He's trying to swallow me. This happened on Friday. So um, this is a good week to preach Jonah because I don't have to spend seven minutes explaining why mir miraculous things can happen in the Bible. Because this isn't even a miracle. This is just science. This is just the natural world. This can just happen. Um, so there we go. People can get swallowed up by whales. It happens. It probably happened. To, if it happened to Jonah, we're told it did. Um, so this can happen. Oh, this is also funny, too. I just have to mention this. Um, he said that he was in there for like 30 or 40 seconds. And then um, there just happened to be a charter boat uh, captain 
that was there, and he said that he saw the guy come flying out of the water, feet first with his flippers on, and land back into the water. Um, so I just, you know, he got swallowed up by a well and spit out. Sounds familiar. Um, in, uh, so that's, that's, I'm skipping over some things, but that's what's happening to Jonah. Um, as he gets on this boat, um, this storm comes, and the whole boat realizes it's, be, it's because he's running from the presence of the Lord, because he told them. And um, the, the sailors reluctantly, um, they reluctantly end up throwing him overboard, and he's overboard, and he's, I mean, he's, really, I mean, he's going to drown. He's going to die out there. And he recognized that when he asked them to do that. And um, then God sends, not as punishment, but really as a means of his salvation and grace and rescue, sends this whale to come swallow, or this great fish, uh, to come swallow Jonah up. And in chapter 2, chapter 2 is just a prayer. It's Jonah's prayer from the belly of this fish. And what you begin hearing him pray what you get a picture into while he's in this completely dark, cramped belly of a well, um, it's almost like God's finally got his attention a little bit. And that's oftentimes what it takes in our lives, right? You kind of have to get swallowed up by a whale before God has your attention. You've got to feel like, and you've got to be lost at sea, drowning, in over your head, that's how dense I can be, right? And, and that's why God allows suffering. That's why he allows pain. That's why he allows difficulty because he's trying to like shake you and get your attention to take the things that you know are true in your head and cram them down into your heart to where they actually begin to make a difference in your life and you actually begin to really believe them and, and trust these things about who God is. And so he prays this prayer and um, I want to draw your attention to the very end of the prayer. <clears throat> what he says, the end of his prayer, is salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah, I mean, what, what we're seeing here is um, Jonah was finally letting go of his self-righteousness just a little bit. I mean, you can hear, I mean, even a little bit, because you hear it right before that in verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I mean, it's still there. It's definitely still there. But he's getting a little picture of God's grace, that God would rescue him, and he's saying, salvation belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me. I'm not the owner of salvation. It's not my property. It's God's. It's his to give freely. You can't put God in your debt. He owns it, and he gives it as he chooses, when he chooses, to whom he chooses, as he chooses. Salvation belongs to him. Jonah's getting, he's finally getting a little taste of the undeserved kindness of God. Up until this point, he didn't really think he needed it. And now he's desperate, drowning in the belly of a well, and now God's got his attention. And he breaks through a little bit. He got through his barrier his, his armor of self-righteousness just a little bit. And that, that idea of righteousness um, is the idea of credibility. It's, it's what you do to make you, yourself feel like a credible person. Not even just with God, just in general. Because you vote right, because you have a certain diet, because you 
are tolerant and open-minded, because you are a hard worker, because you're a good student, because you're a good parent, or you're a good child. I mean, whatever it is that gives you your sense of credibility, of this is why, this is why I'm a good person, whatever, whatever rule you make for yourself. For me, I mean, as I was thinking about this, there's tons of things that I can, uh, you know, grab onto and, and say, this is why I'm, this is, this is my credibility. Um, but I know one is just, you know, this sense that, you know, um, I planted a church. I planted a church. I listened to God's call, and I did this, and, I'm, and I feel like I'm doing it the right way. Even if other people do it, you know, I'm doing it the right way. But you can just hear, you can just hear it. Some of you are smiling. You just hear the self-righteousness there, right? Because um, it's, totally, it's not true, right? It's not, um, it's not true. Whatever it is for you, you, you have good theology. You're a good Christian. Whatever it is, whatever your sense of credibility is, um, God wants to break through that and show you that salvation doesn't belong to you. It's not yours to give out to people who keep your rules or to just keep to yourself. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and he will slowly but surely, patiently break you down to show you that. Now, this brings me to the third section. The third thing that God does to make you into the kind, make you into a, a kind of person that's a bridge builder and a peacemaker. So he tells you, go build bridges. And then he starts to chip away at your self-righteousness and get your attention, even sometimes through excruciating circumstances. And then thirdly, he builds where that bridge was that you were trying, that ladder you were trying to build up to God, when he knocks it away, he builds a bridge to you. And he builds a bridge to you again and again and again. Um, I want to just summarize chapter 3, and then we're going to look at chapter 4. In chapter 3, um, God comes to Jonah again. And he says, he tells him this for the second time, which in and of itself is God being gracious to Jonah. God's been gracious to him in sending the storm, sending the whale, and now he's coming to him a second time so patiently as he does with you and me and tells him to do the same thing. All right, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Tell them the message I have for them. And now Jonah obeys. He goes. He goes into the city and he preaches an eight-word sermon, which some of you probably wish I would take a preaching class from Jonah. Eight words in his sermon. And it's very effective. Um, maybe I have something to learn from him. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be, shall be overthrown. And that's it. That's his message. And then in verse 5 it says, and the people of, people of Nineveh believed God. I wish it was that easy. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So you see a prophet of God who was slow to repent, and you see pagans who were quick to repent, just as we did with the sailors. Now, ultimately, we aren't told that they really turn all the way to the Lord, but they, it does go on to talk about that they, um, they, they relented, they repented of their violence, they, like I was telling you about. That's the thing that's mentioned here, their violence. They, um, they recognized they were, this, was, this was wrong, and they, they stepped back from that. 
And then ultimately, in verse 10, it tells us that when God saw what they did, that they repented of this, that he relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Then we get to verse, or sorry, chapter 4. And chapter 4 is like the curtain just getting ripped back, um, and we see with crystal clarity into what's going on in Jonah's heart and what has been going on when we've kind of just been guessing up until this point. This is Jonah's response to this entire city repenting of their violence. Verse 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. You may have a note in, um, in your Bible next to the word exceedingly that tells you that the Hebrew um, says that what this uh, what, it, what it's saying is that it was exceedingly evil to him. It was evil to Jonah that God would show mercy to this evil people. God, Jonah still, even though God had been gracious to him multiple times already, and sending the storm, and sending the whale, and coming to him a second time, he still hasn't really gotten it. He still hasn't really gotten grace and mercy. He thinks that really he still has some hold on God, that he really, he deserves it, but they don't. He doesn't have a category for people that he hates and thinks, you know, and has broken his righteousness rules, not being an Israelite and obeying all of God's laws. He doesn't think they can get in on this, and he's angry about this. Then verse 2 goes on to tell us something really really fascinating. And I think verse 2 is maybe one of the most important verses in the entire book of Jonah. So verse 2 says this, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? So before, when, when God had told him, go to Nineveh, before he'd gotten on the boat to go to the other side of the world. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. What's What's the reason? What's the purpose? For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This is why he didn't go. Because he knew. He's like, God, I knew it. I just knew you were so gracious that as soon as they got the smallest hint of repentance, you were just going to relent and not give in to justice and this is why he thinks it's evil because he does he doesn't see how can God be just and how can he be loving and gracious at the same time and he's being honest with himself and honest with God that he doesn't see how those things can reconcile and it's wrecked him so much that he's in verse 3 he says it'd be he's suicidal he's lost his will to live because his picture of God has been so shattered that this is not a God who just says the people of Israel who look a certain way, excuse me, who look a certain way and act a certain way, they get in, everybody else is out, clear defined lines, us and them. He doesn't have a category for that. And so he says, I, it would be better for me to just not even be alive because I, can't, I don't know what it means to live a life where the God that I serve actually can be merciful to people that don't deserve it can be gracious to people that don't 
deserve it. Which is exactly the point that God is trying to get across to Jonah. The way that this ends right after this is Jonah goes outside of the city and pouts. And he's waiting for, for God to change his mind. Excuse me, change his mind and end up destroying the city. And so he builds this booth to give him a little bit of shade. And then the Lord sends uh, uh, a, a bush to grow up to give him even more shade. And so he's exceedingly glad because of that. And then God sends a worm to destroy the tree. And then he's exceedingly mad because of that. And then God uses that. He says, I was gracious to you once again when you didn't deserve it. I did something gracious and kind and free for you. And yet you're, not, you're angry about this. You didn't deserve the tree. And then, it, then he says at the very end, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. The book ends with the word cow. It's very abrupt. I think it's on purpose. Because you've been looking at Jonah like, oh, this guy, he's an idiot. I mean, come on, come on, come on. And you don't really see how it resolves. I think what, what we're being invited to do is to, you know, not just look down on Jonah, but just to let the mirror come up to your face a little bit. Because this is, this is one of the things that, um, as I was studying this week, that really uh, struck me. And it was not something I'd really seen in my study of Jonah before. Was just how... Um, God shows his grace to Jonah. He shows his grace to us in stages. As he shows you your sin in stages. That's, Jonah's getting a deeper and deeper awareness of his sin. And because that's deepening, he's also getting a greater picture of, oh my goodness, if, if God can forgive them, if God can forgive me of this, if God can be for me, even though I'm so self-righteous, He's seeing that Christ is deeper still. His grace goes deeper still. This is a book about God's love for this pagan nation of Nineveh. It's also a book about God's love for a prophet whose heart was far from him because he thought that he had earned his right to be with the Lord. And we see Jesus all over this. I mean, Jesus even goes on in the Gospels to talk about the sign of Jonah, how he's come to fulfill the sign of Jonah. I mean, you can hear it when he's, he goes overboard, and the storm stops, and he's in the belly of the great fish for how long? Three days and three nights. It's not a coincidence, right? This is supposed to point us. What we're supposed to see is that, that, that Jonah is a type. He's a picture of Christ, of what Christ is like, that Christ is the true and greater and better Jonah, that he was the one who came not reluctantly, but willingly, joyfully, that he went over the boat and took God's wrath so that the storm would stop for us. That he went to a far off country for people that were not like him, that were his very enemies, to make them into his family, not reluctantly, but joyfully. And he's done that for you, and he's done that for me. He's built a bridge to you. And he graciously and patiently will teach you, he'll show you more bricks in that bridge as you go through your life. And it will probably take pain and suffering for God to do that, to break you down and get your attention. But that's what he's doing in the midst of it. So that you can be like Jonah, who, as we, you know, it's, on one hand, 
we don't have an ending. But on the other hand, we kind of do have an ending. Because who could have written the book of Jonah other than Jonah himself? Who would have known the insights into what was going on? And who would have known his prayer that he prayed in the book or in the belly of the whale? Jonah was, he was a wall builder. And now he, he wrote this book, you know, humiliating story about his own failure, helping us for generations, thousands of years to come, learn what it means to be peacemakers and bridge builders, just as Christ has been for you. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you have built a bridge for us. God, we need, we need so much. We, we, we could just, if your patience could be exhausted, Lord, we would have already have exhausted it, but your grace is deeper still. Your love is deeper still. You are patient with us, even in our self-righteousness, where we're blind. So, Lord, would you, um, Lord, for all, would you break down our armor, um, Lord, where we are afraid of who you really are, Lord, a God gracious and merciful and compassionate. And, Lord, would you help us to know the freedom of having Jesus as our righteousness, Jesus and Jesus alone as our credibility that frees us up to love our neighbor and to love even our enemy. Lord, we need your mercy. Help us, Lord. Help us as we go about our week. Help us as we go out into this great city of Birmingham to be people of peace and of love and of grace. We love you, Lord. We pray it in Christ's name. Oh.